0: Amen. Amen. So glad you're here this morning and um, you can get your Bibles opened uh, to 1st Timothy chapter 6. My name is Brian Bement. I am the lead pastor here and just uh, just excited. Um, this is the last week. If you've been with us for a while, this is our last week in the Mind Wars series. And so it doesn't mean that Mind Wars are going to end. It just means that us teaching on it is. And um, I know that um, it has been a series that has impacted Uh, my life personally, and so many others. Um, Just raise your hand if God's challenged you specifically with one of the strongholds that we've talked about in this series, right? Some of you are like, there's multiple. I'm with you. Multiple different strongholds have been convicting to me, and um, one of the things that I've loved in this series is um, it's important to kind of see how There's different themes that God weaves through a different series in our church. And uh, it's such a blessing to kind of sit back from the place that I get to sit and sort of kind of affirm and see some of the things that God's doing. And one of the things that God's Word's done in this series is led us again and again to the person of Jesus. Just the person of Jesus. Just more affection, more deep love for Jesus. And. uh, I wrote this as I was thinking about the whole series this week and kind of reflecting on it. I wrote this Strongholds fall when I have a stronghold on Christ. Strongholds fall when I have a stronghold on Christ. And so, in this last message, we're going to go after one last stronghold. But really, the the thing that we've learned again and again is these strongholds don't have a lot of power when we're taking hold of all that Christ has promised to be for us. Amen? And so before we jump into this last stronghold, let me just uh, pray for us. God, I'm I'm coming before you right now just asking again for your faithfulness, for you to be faithful to your promises, for you to move in and through your word being preached, uh, work in the hearts of the people, that are here listening to this message I pray for our minds to be corrected in places encouraged in others stirred up a deeper affection for you would you bring down this last stronghold that we're going to be talking about this morning would you restore our thinking would we be a gospel uh, centered in the way that we think And so God lead us and guide us for your glory and for your victory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen, amen. Amen. So um, one of the things that, that you hear a lot in our culture is I want more. It's a it's just a constant cry from a consumer culture like ours we're bombarded by messages all the time to chase more, desire more, lust for more, buy more, upgrade more, experience more, right? Like, all the time. It's like a uh, never-ending pursuit of of, of something that that we seem to want to try to achieve to fill our souls. It's just something, anything And in our culture, what can happen is, is we start not just to believe that we uh, want more. No, no, no. We are way more entitled as a culture than that. We advance it to the point where we're like, we deserve more. I deserve more. Like we wear it as a badge of honor, even why it's kind of degrading our heart and the vision that the gospel would have for our lives. It's this idea, I deserve more. And you know that when you start saying that, when those are the thoughts that start to go through your mind, the stronghold has been built and established in your heart. The I deserve more stronghold, if it's not torn down, church, it will wreak havoc in your life. I've seen this stronghold um, just leave a swath of destruction through marriages and families, relationships, relationships. I've seen it destroy the financial stability of people when they spend beyond their means to try to achieve the more that their heart's longing for and then suffering under the burden of debt. And it begins to destroy your peace because you're always wanting something you don't have instead of enjoying what you already have. And this is a message pervasive in our culture. The stronghold's a huge problem And so today we're going to take aim at this stronghold. We have to examine where it could be playing itself out in our lives, and we have to bring the gospel to bear on that so that it might be destroyed. And like we've done throughout this series, we're living under the truth of 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Let's read it one more time in this series together. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy these strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. So that's been it. We've been, we've been living, sort of fleshing out this, this passage in a few different ways as we've considered different strongholds, and there's many more we could definitely consider. But today, to consider the last one that we have, um, if your eyes are on 1 Timothy, we're in chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. This is the end of um, Paul's first letter to Timothy, his sort of younger pastor that he was training up to be a leader in the church. And here at the end of 1 Timothy, he's laying out some of his heart to Timothy and He's getting to this point and he's talking about uh, false teachers and what was happening in their sort of false teaching and how they were uh, sort of abusing so many different things. And then verse 6. But godliness with contentment. Underline that, highlight that in your Bibles. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare or a trap, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierce themselves with many pangs. Write this down. This is the big idea that comes from this passage. God's sufficient provision is my true satisfaction. And we got to evaluate that, church. We've got to process through this because what I want to come from your life and my life and together through the life of our church is that we would be seeking true satisfaction in God's sufficient provision. So we got to see how it's our true satisfaction. So to unpack this passage, I've really just got two actions. Two actions that help us find and live in God's sufficient provision. First one is this. Fill in the blank in your notes. Prioritize godliness and contentment. We've got to prioritize godliness and contentment. It says godliness with contentment. Verse 6, honestly, if you're just reading through First Timothy, uh, 6 should sort of grab your attention because um, that's a way better uh, advertising a promise than anything the world offers you. You move into, into verse 6 and it's sort of uh, across the, the headline. It says, great gain available. Like great gain available is what you should be thinking about. You should something could be great gain. Like, what's great gain? How can I get access to it? And what what Paul is teaching Timothy here, and, and God wants us to realize is that if we want great gain in this life, it is found when we take hold of godliness with contentment. They need to be overlaying one another. They need to both be present. Because Timothy's facing opposition here in this passage from false teachers who were stirring up people with controversy and quarreling. So unfamiliar in our world today. Controversy and quarreling. And they were gathering a crowd and all of it was kind of for financial profit. They were scamming people with the false gospel. And then he, he responds here and he's like reminding Timothy, he's like, contentment. And godliness are great gain. Prioritize that. If, if you understand, really, godliness in the power of the gospel, great contentment is right there, and those together bring great gain to your life. Which also means that if you don't take hold of that, it's going to be great loss to your life. So we need to understand how to prioritize this. So we, we get some pictures of it right in the context. Look in verse 7. Sort of, sort of to defend the importance of godliness and contentment, it says, um, by the way, you brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. I, I, I think that um, funerals, are really great reminders of where your contentment should lie. The average casket is 18 square feet. It's not room for a lot of stuff. And and when you um, pass from this life to the next, what you can take with you is godliness and contentment that will lead perfectly into the next life. We need to be reminded that Christ offers you so much more prioritize godliness and contentment. Then in verse 8, what it does is it says, it sort of gives us the perspective of what we should be content with. It says there, it says, but if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Let me unpack this a bit. Food and clothing uh, collectively was a common reference just for life's essential things. Like, what are the essential things that you need? Wh- wh- what is the Um, what is the basic provision that you need in your life? And what's understood in this idea of of food and clothing is sort of like a roof over my head, something to eat, and clothing for my life. Like, 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 that's it. It's to simplify your expectations. And church, it's really good to simplify our expectations sometimes because we live in a culture where millions of extras are put in front of us all the time. And and the companies that back those things that are put in front of us, all they want you to do is believe that you need that. You need all of the extras. They want to stir up desire. They want to stir up cravings in you. And so we got to simplify our expectations because the gospel of Jesus Christ offers us godliness and contentment. And when I see that, I want the godliness and the contentment. I can see how it can be great gain. Can't you? And my heart longs for this, so I want to make sure we understand the biblical picture of godliness and contentment. I want us to make sure we see how they work together. So I want to paint a little broader biblical picture of this. Look on the screen, 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 5. In Paul's second letter to Timothy, he says, kind of helping him understand the difficulty that they're walking through, he says, but understand that in the last days, which were then and are still now, There will come times of difficulty. See if this looks familiar. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. At that point, you've got to be like, okay, I think they're talking about our culture. Anybody anybody with me on this? And then look, look in verse 5 having the appearance of godliness but denying its power avoid such people or or, or a better understanding is avoid the message of these people Just just look around our world and notice what's happening. What's happening is is that what people have done is they're they're not worshiping, they're not trying to establish a godliness based on the God of the Bible. No, what they're doing is they're establishing a godliness based on themselves being gods. That's the only way you can get verses one through four. Is the reality of the chaos comes from the fact that everybody just got to a point where they're like, I'm going to be a god. And if you do that, what you've done is you're trying to establish yourself and your righteousness, and there's no power there because you're not doing it with the gospel at the center because that's where the power comes from. See, religion without relationship, regardless of whoever is God, you can have actions that look godly, and that's what the world wants to do in so many different ways, is sort of take the message, make it look righteous, and then go follow this, or else really what they say. But but there's but there's no power, and there's and there's never any lasting contentment in it. I see it again and again in my own life and in yours. There's only the, the the godliness and contentment found when we rest in the gospel in what Christ offers. Then l- l- look at Second Peter one three through four, to see even more clearly a gospel vision for godliness. Look what it says here because it's so it's so important to see it and understand it. Verse three, His divine power, Jesus Christ's divine power. Think about that all the way back to Second Corinthians 10 when it talks about like, the weapons that we have of our warfare have divine power because they're rooted in Christ. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. We have access to all of it in the gospel. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence that's an invitation by which through this knowledge of him he's granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through those promises and taking hold of them by faith you may become and this is just where you're like what? you may become partakers of the divine nature I I, I can partake of the divine nature Like in the gospel, through Christ and the work of his spirit, I can actually become made like God. That's godliness, church. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. That last phrase there, that is a summation of contentment. You've arrived at contentment when the glory and the goodness of being made like Christ has got you to a point where you're like, I've escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Because Christ is so much greater than that. Resting in Christ, receiving from him, it comes through actual knowledge, the experiential work of God's spirit. As you respond to this captivating call of God, he's calling you, he's wooing you, he sent his son to to show his love for you so that he might lead you to a place, it says there, to his own glory, And excellence, when you live from their church, you find both godliness and contentment. When godliness has been empowered through the work of God's Spirit, you've found godliness and contentment. The partaking of the divine nature is always greater gain. But too often, too often in the church, we 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 fail to prioritize godliness and contentment. Like I I hear it sometimes even here in our church. In the conversations that that you and I engage in, and and even around some of our community groups, and I, I hear questions like these sort of superficial religious questions that we sort of feel like we've got to ask, and we sort of get robotic with them, and we we ask things like, have you read your Bible lately? Or, are you praying? Or, are you avoiding that sin? And as I was thinking about it this week, I was realizing like those questions tend to be so focused on outward obedience but really tell us nothing. Like, are we focused on actions or are we focused on the heart? if we prioritized godliness and contentment, I think we'd be asking questions like these. Is your heart resting in Christ? Is your heart resting in Christ? Are you encountering his presence and his peace and power? Is your desire for Jesus and more of him driving out all other desires are are you in your life are you partaking of god's nature is there a part of your life right now that's being literally transformed into his likeness are you finding contentment in christ (laughs) those questions don't just value some religious outward obedience what those questions value is they say you know what my concern is my heart for you in asking those questions the way that I might be able to come alongside your life to encourage you in these questions and living them out is because I want the gospel and the power of the gospel to lead you to godliness and contentment so ask ask the question like do your questions value godliness and contentment or just religious tradition wrestle with these questions personally and in community because i want to assure you this morning of this that this up on the screen this is not the mission of our church the mission of our church is not to honor church tradition by being obedient to religious expectations to gain approval from other people and to pass on the religious tradition to the next generation That's not the mission of our church The mission of our church is to glorify God by loving God. Finding peace and contentment and loving God. And as he begins to, as I begin to experience his love, loving others. And making disciples of all nations. Disciples of Jesus Christ. Disciples being transformed into the likeness of God marked by contentment. Church, church, when you've, when you've tasted this, you won't be satisfied with any other substitute. When, when you experience godliness with contentment, it will, it will be the burning passion of your life. And so I asked this morning, parents, what are you teaching your kids to prioritize? What are you teaching them to store up? Like, what are you, you going to leave them when you die? Are you going to leave them a a vision for, for sort of religious church activity? This is what we do. I don't even really know why we're doing it, but we do it. Or are you going to leave them with a burning passion to be transformed into the likeness of Christ that then becomes a great blessing to any and every local church? Teach your children to prioritize godliness and contentment. And be honest with them like it's a war. Like it's okay to tell them like it's hard. It's really okay. They might actually respect you more if you're honest about the way it has been a war in your life. And the way that you're wrestling in the midst of this with your own desires. Not just in your home. Let everyone see the priority clearly. Godliness with contentment. God's sufficient provision is my true satisfaction. Then this second action that we have to move towards that it shows us right in this passage in 1st uh, Timothy, monitor your desires and cravings. Monitor your desires and cravings. Verses 9 through 10 like I mean, I hope you see like 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 I saw when I read this the first time like it's a very strong, clear warning from God, isn't it? This doesn't pull any punches. It's like, if you desire to be rich, like, if that's a desire for you, like, you're going to fall into temptation. That's as much of a promise as any other promise in the Bible. It doesn't get better than it says into a snare, which is like a trap. So it's got you now. And And then it starts to move you into many senseless and harmful desires. That's not getting better. Plunges people into ruin and destruction. I wish it wasn't true, but it is. I've seen it too many times. For the love of money is a root, a root of all kinds of evils. It's through this craving that some have, and it gets worse here, some have wandered away from the faith and literally pierced themselves with many pangs. Pang, that word means pain, or distress. When when you fail to monitor your desires and cravings and you get led astray, like you see in James 1 and a variety of other places in Scripture, um, pain will come. If you fail to monitor your desires and, and, and cravings, you're headed for pain, and it's going to be a self-inflicted wound. There's a sense of like, like d- don't do that and God's giving us some encouragement here. Hear my heart, Jesus offers you something so much better, so much better than what your heart and mind and life are craving, and please hear him and respond before you find yourself plunging into a place that's gonna cause more consequences and destruction. Monitor your desires and cravings, get your eyes open to them Be aware, like I said, think about the way that you're thinking. We've said it throughout this series. Paul is highlighting the love of money here. He says it's a desire, but given the larger context of Scripture, let me just expand out what I believe is the heart of this passage is that what it's really talking about collectively is lust. Now let's be careful not to uh, only see lust within the category, the subcategory of sexual lust. Lust is any place in your heart and life where there's envy or jealousy, any place where there's a pursuit of pleasure or satisfaction that's drawing you into sinful temptations that then can lead you down a path to pain, ruin, or destruction. Any one of those three categories? Can we just agree like we're all good to avoid? Okay? And we don't want any part of that. And if we don't want a part of that, we've got to monitor our desires and cravings. It is, it is so easy to monitor your health in our technological world. Like if you, if you have an iWatch, you, you, you can actually pull up your, um, your heart rate. And you can be like, man, I need to settle down. Some of you might need to look up a little more often, especially in an argument. And, um, and, and you can monitor that. And it's amazing in our world how much you can monitor. You can monitor your heart rate. You, you, can, you can monitor your uh, blood oxygen content. You can monitor your sleep quality. That's really convicting. Some of you young kids are like, I'm not monitoring nothing. Okay? I'm just happy to survive and be here right now. And uh, you, I mean, it can, it, your, your eye watch can be programmed to monitor, to remind you to wash your hands and so much more. But speaking of amazing technology, the the, the the technology that monitors things that I'm sort of fascinated with and I was reading on this week is pacemakers. Like some people are literally able to remain alive because of the monitoring of a pacemaker. It, I know people in our church who have pacemakers and a pacemaker is literally like surgically placed into a person's chest. It. Kind of reminds me of Iron Man or something like that. And they they have this device in their chest and it monitors the heart and it produces an electrical force to pace the heart if it's beating too slowly. And so I was thinking about that and I was like, man, that helps monitor the physical heart. I, we, we need like a, we need a pacemaker for our spiritual heart. Like for our soul. We, we, we need something that that, that monitors our desires and cravings, something that responds, watch this, something that responds when, when the, our heart for Jesus is beating too slowly. We need something that, that will produce a, a divine shock to, to bring our hearts back into rhythm where our heart can then like settle and, and rest in Christ and seek and prioritize godliness and contentment. And we need that. And and then and then I realized, like like God's given it to us. He's given us the spiritual pacemaker in His Word. This is this is the characteristic of the Word of God. It it literally is intended to be when we know it and understand it. Like, listen, church, the the best sermon in this church is like a decent appetizer, intended to stir up your desire and craving for more of God's Word. And and when you understand God's Word, what it literally does as a spiritual pacemaker for your soul or for your heart is, in that place in your life where God is literally um, wanting to get a hold of your mind and heart, in a place where your heart has started to desire and creep towards that desire or temptation... The Bible says that the second that you start to do that, what happens is that sin begins to lead you to death. And so some of you are literally like here, you're sort of like, I'm not doing very well. And then some of you, because of the, the, what's happened with the sinful temptation, like, like you're like on the ground, like, like having a hard time getting your breath. And, and then some of you are like, just you're down, you're like flatline. Some of you are like, has he passed out? And and what the spirit what, what the word of God is meant to be is like when you see it, like a defibrillator work and, and they bring it over and, and they and they get the they get the charge set right, right? And they put it on the chest and the person's like Pff. That's what the Word of God provides for you. It provides the spiritual force to awaken your heart to exactly where you're at. Think about it. James 121 says it right here. This is the evidence that the Bible is the spiritual pacemaker. James 121, receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Church, there's there's no substitute. There's no substitute for, for a, a passionate pursuit of God's word that is longing that the word of God would be implanted in your heart and soul. Because anyone who knows the way God's word works when the spirit is using it in your mind and in your heart and over your life, you know that what it does is it monitors desires and cravings. And there's moments in time when, when you're walking in a direction and the word of God comes in a moment and you're like right there feeling and experiencing the temptation or even having fallen and feeling the death of sin and God's spirit literally saves your soul in that moment and God's word brings something back to your mind or something's taught or or you read something and you're just like and your heart starts to beat in rhythm again. When your desires or cravings are too weak for Christ, let the implanted word bring and produce a divine shock to your spiritual heart. Like, let me, let me picture it another way that might be helpful for you. To sort of get what we're like if we don't monitor our desires and cravings. Like, If you've ever taken a young child, I'm thinking like three to five, Young children, I don't know if you know this, but they have a very underdeveloped sense of self-control. I don't know if any parents needed to know that today, but that's the truth. And so if you bring them into a toy store, oh yeah, you know where this is going, or a toy aisle at a store, you know what happens is they start, um, it's almost like something has been injected into their mind. And, and, and now they start staring and longing and craving and and wanting and and we all know any parent who's been in that situation all of a sudden you're like they can't think clearly anymore it's been hindered by pure desire it's it's almost like intoxication really like it's just it's just they're ensnared and and any ability to reason with them at this moment any parent knows from maybe some embarrassing moments with complete total meltdowns in that aisle or in that store, knows that um, any attempt to reason with them is often met with pretty powerful emotions back, right? Any parent has seen that meltdown. And it's kind of funny to laugh about moments and times when that happens, but you and I do the same with way more dangerous consequences. We sometimes think we've advanced past the three to five-year-old stage, but if we're honest some of you shouldn't be left alone on amazon.com or in target be careful this is one of those points where do not elbow the person next to you okay i'm not responsible some of you really shouldn't if you monitor your desires and cravings well shouldn't be on the internet without accountability Dating couples should monitor some desires and cravings and remember what God called us to in the covenant of marriage and what he called us to save for that covenant. Some of you um, need to uh, not frequent places where alcohol is served or where drugs that are now legal are offered because you can't handle it. Look at the places in your life where, um, where there's a, a desire for more, where I'm feeling like I'm deserving more, and you've found a stronghold. Monitor any area of lust. It doesn't matter the sinful desire. It doesn't matter the category. Any sinful desire, if left unchecked, can quickly evolve into an addiction, an intoxication, as strong as alcohol and drugs, I know people that have a craving to, to, to feel a sense of approval from someone that is as life-dominating as the person on heroin. And, and all these things that we crave after in the world, like, let's just, let's just pull the curtain back, and can we all just agree it only provides temporary contentment at best? And then with it, oftentimes, consequences that seem to snowball. Monitor. We have to monitor our desires and cravings. And, and, and I, was, I was met by a quote this morning that just sort of blew me away, sort of uh, helped sort of put all of this together cleanly. Um, from centuries ago, this early church father, John Chrysostom, he wrote this. You got to think, this guy was writing well before any of the advertising empires started to be established. And well before there were like a thousand options for peanut butter at Meyer. Okay, like, like before that, he wrote this. But let us, he's urging the church then and the church now, let us recover from this intoxication let us fix our view upon that which is truly beautiful beautiful in its own nature and he's pointing to the divine nature because look what he says upon godliness and righteousness (laughs) some of us think that we've seen something that's beautiful And Jesus Christ wants to say to you, I have something so much more beautiful for you. If you would look to me, if you would follow my lead. And as you begin to unpack it in God's word, as it begins to come and rest upon your heart, it provides a a divine shock to say no to desires and cravings and yes to godliness and contentment in Christ. And so, thinking about that, let let me just encourage us that the only way, church, to avoid the intoxication of the world is to find something or someone more intoxicating than all of the temporal pleasures of this world. That's the only one option that we have to bring total satisfaction to our lives is in Jesus, is in Christ. When I say yes to Christ over any area of my life, I automatically say no to a host of other evils. See, what, 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 too often what we do is we're like, okay, okay, I'm trying to resist this desire and craving. And so we're like, just just focus on it. Like, look at how bad it is. And then maybe I'll get some people around me and then they'll, they'll, they'll reinforce it. Like, you really shouldn't chase after that. And they become your, like, accountability group. And you're like, okay, we definitely don't want to go that way. Let's do everything we can to put any guards around our life so I don't move towards that. And we're still sitting here, like, looking at it. Like, it's going to go away. And we wonder why this sort of move towards righteousness leaves us frustrated. Because the gospel tells us and teaches us and trains us that the way that you avoid desires and cravings is that when you monitor your desires and cravings and you see that you're longing for something that God does not want for your life, the way you avoid it is not by looking at it more or gathering a hundred people around you. The way you find victory is recognizing that in Christ, it's so much better. And the captivating revelation of Christ's glory and his affection and his love for you drives you to a place where you're like, I don't want that because I have this. And that's where the victory's at. That's where godliness and contentment come together. That's where when we look, are looking straight into the face of desires and cravings, that, that what we have to recognize is that Christ is sufficient. Christ is good enough. His provision will always satisfy. And honestly, church, that's repentance. R- repentance isn't trying to avoid wrong things. Repentance is finding that Christ is better than any other thing. And in that, there's victory. That is compelling. That will satisfy your heart. That will bring you godliness and contentment. Godliness and contentment. Let Christ be your one pure and holy passion, stirring up a desire and a craving for godliness and contentment. So we have to monitor our desires and cravings not so that we would focus on them so that we'd recognize when the gospel needs to shock our spiritual heart to a place where we're going to pursue after Christ with great passion. God's, excuse me, God's sufficient provision is my true satisfaction. We got to take down the I deserve more stronghold. And where it's at in your life bring these scriptural truths to bear And let it create in you the Spirit of God, a longing for more of Jesus Christ. So let's just step back for a second and um, let's just review where we've gone in this series. In this series, we've touched on eight different strongholds. I am worthless. I am not good enough. I need their approval. God is not present. My life has no purpose. I must be in control. I am a victim. I deserve more. And what has started to emerge, probably for me in stronghold number two, I started to see this. And it's where I've tried to land this message because every message has sort of led us back to this place where it's like, you want to know what? Um, Strongholds fall when we've taken a stronghold of Christ. And as what's happened is, is that it's almost as if as we've gone through each stronghold, we've kind of been like, wh- why would I want that I- erected in my life? Why would I want that established or built in my life when I could have that? And we've seen again and again the gospel is just more compelling. And so today, at the end of this sermon and the end of this series, we got to come to communion. Because these strongholds and all other strongholds are destroyed when the cross is raised up in your life. Right? Like, like it's, it's when the cross is raised up. When you deny yourself and carry your cross. When you live dead to sin and alive to Christ. Strongholds fall. They have no chance. We live in the victory and the power of the cross. At the cross where Jesus died for you. He speaks a better word. Think about it. These strongholds that we've gone through in light of the cross. When you think I am worthless, he says to you that you're worth dying for. When you think that you are not good enough, he says I am good enough to cover you with my righteousness. When you think you need someone else's approval, he gives you his approval in his death. When you think God is not present, he reminds you that his death opened the door for constant communion with God. When you think your life has no purpose, his death shows you that purpose is found through sacrificing your life for others. When you think you must be in control, Christ's death reminds you that God is clearly in control of all things for his glory and your good. When you think or recognize that you're a victim, Christ reminds you that he was the victim to bring healing to all victims. When you think you deserve more in Christ's death, we find sufficient provision for your soul to be redeemed. It is the cross. The cross. Jesus neutralized The power of every stronghold on the cross. In the shadow of the cross, every stronghold becomes a weak hold. Yes, that is a new word today for Christ church. Every stronghold becomes a weak hold. The word of the cross is the power of God to destroy every stronghold. It's the power of the cross that destroys strongholds. It's the power of the cross that, that, that literally destroys arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. Because into the strongholds of your life, Christ is saying to you, I've already finished it. I've already accomplished everything that you need to walk in victory. I've already offered you the forgiveness that you need to revive your dead heart and, and I've given you the spirit to breathe life into it. It's the cross. It's the cross. So we've got to remember that. So I just want to invite our communion services to come forward now and we want to take this time to bring any stronghold in our lives, one we've been working through or one introduced today. We're want to bring it to Christ, bring it to the cross. Thank Jesus for the cross. Ask Him to forgive you, for you to abandon these strongholds, to walk with passion towards God, to abandon any sin that's built and and caused this stronghold to be constructed in your life. Ask Him for wisdom and power to walk forward in obedience. Ask Him that you'd be captivated by His love for you displayed on the cross. And just be with Jesus as this song is sung over you. And as the communion elements are passed, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, take hold of the two cups that are stacked on top of one another. And take hold of them and just spend this time being with Jesus. Remembering that He has given you the power for all strongholds to fall. And just take hold of these elements. And we'll take them together at the end of the song. Let's do it now. Let's seek Jesus.